Greetings from Bethel Church in Edgemont, South Dakota. Thanks for joining us today. I am Pastor Brad, and on behalf of Pastor Nancy, Bethel Church, and myself, we're glad that you are here. We hope that the message today is an inspiration for you. We hope that God's Word speaks to you. We hope that the Holy Spirit moves within you and that you are changed. Get ready. This is going to be good. Come on. Well, Mr. Murphy's been showing up this morning with text, so we are going to hope desperately that it doesn't happen during this time. So week four in our series on revival, I'm excited about today, but I want to just take a moment to recap some of where we've gone or where we've been in this message. So if we think back to week one, we discussed a few things that you're going to see when revival breaks out. We talked about repentance we talked about genuine change and we talked about unity. Then in week two, we talked about the things that we could, should consider about revival. Things such as the fact that revival can't be scheduled. Wouldn't it be great if we we're like, okay, next Tuesday, we're going to have a revival. It would be amazing. I would be excited. I guarantee I wouldn't sleep Monday night. But we talked about the fact that revival is truly the influence of divine grace. We talked about the fact that we need to play a part in revival. We talked about it can be costly to pray for revival. Think about that. If revival were really to happen in your life, how costly that would truly be. We talked about the fact that we're called to truly seek God's face. And then last week, in week three, we, we looked at it from a different direction. We talked about the rivals of revival. We talked about those things that get in the way of revival happening. Things such as denial, doubt, deflection, delay, and defiance. So this week, week four in this series on revival, I want you to realize something as we go through this message. Realize that revival begins with an incredible sense of dissatisfaction with yourself. Now, I'm not talking about low self-esteem because I think that could be confusing at times. We, we can realize that we're sinners and we can realize that we're dissatisfied in our lives. And if we're careful, our self-esteem may tend to fall. And I don't, I don't think God wants that for us, but He does want us to be dissatisfied with the way our lives are going. Okay, so let's think about it this way. This is one of my favorite pieces of Scripture because it's so filled with imagery. If we go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 5, and I'm sure as I read it, some you will remember this. It says, Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I can relate to that because I can say, I can imagine if I was there in the presence of God, that's the way I would feel. Woe is me. Meaning, I'm not good enough. How in the world do I get an opportunity to be in the midst of you right now, God? See, but that's the cleaning out that God does with us. That's the spirit of repentance coming to the surface so that we may act upon it. So that word repentance, I think, is a misunderstood word. Remember, repentance isn't just something we say. Repentance isn't a feeling. Repentance is actually an action word. In other words, repentance is something we do, not something that we feel. I mean, we may feel remorseful, but that shouldn't be confused with the word repentance. So we could stand up here today, I could stand up here and talk about the attributes of God, and I could probably continue to talk about that for weeks on end, but the attributes of God aren't really God Himself. 
Think about that. The attributes always recognize God, but they're not God. Okay? Attributes describe Him, but yet they don't define Him. So as we start to think about this idea of revival and really truly coming to grips with God, we have to realize that. They don't define Him. See, because we know that God is indescribable in His attributes and indescribable overall, and that's why we call God transcendent. He transcends absolutely everything. He's beyond us, and we can't intellectually conceive of Him because God is holy. So let's go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 2 through 3 at this time, though. And it gives you more of this vision of what was going on when Isaiah was there. And it says, Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So holy, holy, holy. What does that mean? It means that God is separate from us. He's beyond us and He's indescribable. See, the holy, holy, holy nature of God wants to invade our lives and our situations and bring about change that will make an impact for eternity. The holy, holy, holy nature of God wants to bring us to a place of dissatisfaction with ourselves so that we give Him room to move in our lives. If you think about it, if you're satisfied with the way your life is currently going, is there room for God to move in your life? See, God wants to awaken us, but He not only wants to awaken us, He wants to awaken us for a purpose and not just a purpose, but for His purpose. But first, we have to understand though that God is indescribable, so we won't waste time trying to figure Him out. I mean, I could ask you today, I could say this, can you describe for me your spouse? For some of you, that might be humorous. You might give anecdotes. You might give visual, visual characteristics. Or I'd say, describe your best friend. Or I might say, hey, can you describe to me, what? tell me about your kitchen or tell me about your favorite book. And you could probably do that. But what if I ask you to describe God? Okay, it's a little more difficult because God is indescribable. We put our faith in God, and being so, we realize that He is much higher than us. But yet, we can't really describe Him. A gentleman by the name of Brian Edwards wrote a book, and his book is entitled Revival, and it describes revival this way. A true Holy Spirit revival is a remarkable increase in the spiritual life of a large number of God's people accompanied by an awesome awareness of the presence of sin. And I'm going to pause for a moment to let that sink in. Okay, we're talking about a large number of people, not just one or two people. That's what revival is. But more importantly, the awareness of the presence of sin. I think we could go an entire week, an entire month, maybe even an entire year not thinking about that concept. But if we go back to what he says, he continues on, says, with a passionate longing for holiness, and an unusual effectiveness in evangelism leading to the salvation of many believers. So if we get into in that and we grasp that and we start to recognize the sin in our lives and God is moving in our lives, suddenly we want to tell everyone about it. See, it's a great description of revival, but today I want to move beyond description and I want to go in today on really the definition of what revival is, but I want to go back to the book of Isaiah once again, this time chapter 57, verse 15. It says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, 
whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. We're starting to get some imagery here. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, God wants to revive the lowly. And that word lowly means humble. If we humble ourselves, God wants to revive us. God wants to revive the contrite. And that word simply means the remorseful. So God is not only up in heaven in a high and lofty place, but He is down here too with those who, us, who are humble and we are remorseful and we are seeking freedom from our sins. So this week I want to move past the things that we'll see when revival breaks out. This week I want to move past the things that we should consider revival and I want to move past the things, those rivals of revival that get in the way. This week I want to get to the point. I want to look at what revival really is in a four-part definition. So the question comes once again, what is revival? Well, number one, revival is reaching high. We, we just read in the book of Isaiah 57, 15, for this is what the high and lofty one says, I live in a high and holy place. So revival is reaching high for that place. Remember what I first said this morning, revival begins with an incredible sense of dissatisfaction with yourself. This humbleness that says, woe is me. It's only right that humility should be our starting place, right? If, if we're convinced that our lives are perfect and we're, we're satisfied with where we're going, it may not work out so well. But a desire to have a higher experience with God is going to start from that moment when we're in that humble place. We should all, and by all I mean myself included, feel dissatisfied with the way things are. So let's think about this for a moment. We should feel dissatisfied with the way that things are in church. I mean, you could come and talk to me and say, Pastor Brad, I'm just dissatisfied by the way that things are happening in the church. We should feel dissatisfied with the way that things are in our nation. And I'm not just in talking politics. I'm talking in the spiritual realm. We should feel dissatisfied with the way that the things are in our hearts. We should feel dissatisfied with the way that things are in our homes. We should, this, status, this satisfaction should lead us to a higher encounter with God. See, reaching high is a desire for a higher, greater knowledge of God. And I'm, I'm, I was sensing this yesterday. Pastor Nancy and I went for a little drive out in the woods and she brought along a book. And she said, can we just take 10 minutes every single morning and read through this a page or two together. Because I feel that she's feeling as though she's dissatisfied with the way things are going. We need to get closer to God and that dissatisfaction sparks us to action. A gentleman by the name of Charles Finney, he's a great revivalist and he talked about how we need to sit down and write down our sins so that we may recall them. So that we can weep over them, he said. And this whole process is called the breaking up of fallow ground, what they call fallow ground. So I want to go, before I go into that, the book of Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says, Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers His righteousness on you. So to understand this concept of fallow ground, let's first go to the, the farming realm. In farming terms, fallow ground is soil that's been left unplanted for a period of time. It's land that's been left to rest and to regenerate. It's just sitting there. 
But for us as sinners, breaking up the fallow ground is coming to terms with the things we know we have committed against God. Those things that we haven't dealt with. It's time to break up the fallow ground and deal with those things that we haven't dealt with. And when we reach high, we become dissatisfied with the status quo and dissatisfied with the way that life is now. So we've been talking in depth about revival now for the past four weeks, and we've been very detail-oriented. I I reviewed them today. We've looked at the historical context. We've looked at the spiritual and the biblical context and examples of revival. But anybody else here get overwhelmed by the details? Like, I'll ask Pastor Nancy a question, and you can tell that she hasn't talked to somebody in a while because she'll just talk and talk and talk about details because she's very detail-oriented, and I appreciate it, and I love, love her for that, but... There's times that it's overwhelming. See, sometimes we need just a simple definition. So here it is. We're going to go into a simple definition. What is revival? And number two is revival when, is when God comes. Okay? But you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Brad, but that doesn't make, make any sense to me because God is always with us. God is omnipresent. You know, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and it hasn't left yet. So God is with us. He's among His people, but what we're talking about is something greater than this, something different, something special. See, God is at work today, and He's at work in the church, and He's at work with all of His people. He's at work, and He's always with us, but what we're talking about in this series is on a whole other level. See, on another realm, on another dimension, it's where God comes down, but God comes down in power. I start to see that vision that we read about in the book of Isaiah where when revival happens, we will feel and see His presence in a way that we've never felt it before. See, revival is the desire for and the realization of a divine presence. Remember in Isaiah 64.1, it says, Oh God, You would rend the heavens and come down. See, reaching high can only be attained, though, by bending down low. We've talked about humility here. A gentleman by the name of A.B. Simpson once said, I wish to speak to you about Jesus and Jesus only. He goes on to say, I often hear people say, I wish I could get a hold of divine healing, but I cannot. Anybody ever feel that way? You wish you could get a hold of the divine? Last night I was laying in bed and my tooth started to hurt, so I got up and I went downstairs because I was sleeping in the loft because I wanted Nancy to sleep. And I went downstairs and tried to deal with it and it felt better. And I went back upstairs and I laid down and it started to hurt again. And this process continued for like three or four trips up the stairs till I decided maybe I just need to go lay on the couch. But I remember laying there praying to God that God, would you please just heal me? I, I know that I truly believe that we have the power to heal people. But sometimes we pray for that healing and it doesn't come. So let's go back here to Mr. Simpson here. He goes on to say, sometimes they say, I've got it. And if I ask them, what have you got? The answer is sometimes I've got the blessing. Sometimes it's I've got the theory. Sometimes it's I've got the healing. Sometimes it's I've got the sanctification. He continues to say, but I thank God we've been taught that it's not the blessing It's not the healing. It's not the sanctification. It's not the thing. It's not the it that you want. But it's sometimes better. 
It is Christ. It is Him Himself. So sometimes I think we get caught up in all the things that we want God to do, and we forget that we need to get caught up in one thing, and that's Jesus. So what is revival? Revival is a reaching high for nothing but God and Christ alone. We're not out there looking for the benefits of a life lived with Jesus. We're simply looking for Jesus. Number three, revival is bowing low. So if we go back to verse 15 from the beginning, where it says, but also with him is contrite and lowly. Now remember, that's the the humble in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, we have to reach high to the lofty one, but there also has to be this bowing down low. And as I was reading through this and practicing through this, and I was thinking of that bowing down low, I thought about what I know I spoke of a couple weeks ago, but about the altar. See, there is nothing magical and mythical about the altar. In fact, if you ask a kid what this is, they'll tell you it's a stage. And that is what it is, but it's also an altar. And at times when you go to the altar, it's not that there's some miraculous power in this carpet and wood, but there is miraculous power in the symbolism of getting on your knees and getting on your face and praying to God. See, we have to reach high, but we also have to bow down low. The reaching high can only be obtained if we first bend low. See, the reaching high can only happen. It can only be achieved. It can only be acquired by bowing low. And so here's how we bow low in order to reach high. Brokenness. Okay, we're all, we, you've heard it said, you've maybe said it as well, we're all broken people. And when we think about brokenness, I think we think about the fact that we're, we've got issues and we're hurting and we've got things in our lives that maybe nobody else knows about. And that's true. We're all broken people. But brokenness is really, in this sense, is dying to self and dying to selfish attitudes. So this is the type of brokenness that we should be praying for. We should pray that we've been broken down and dying from our selfishness. See, daily brokenness, that's what's going to bring about revival. And then there's this concept of cleansing. You know, we've talked about the cleaning that God does to prepare us for revival, but the cleansing is when God shows you the cross. Okay, You clean from your sins when you bow low. You bring your sin and yourself to the cross and you ask Jesus to save you. See, you can put it to death yourself, but only the power of the cross can do that. You can't do that. Okay, You can say, God, I, my life is filled with sin, but without the power of Jesus, that's where it stays. See, the only two things you're going to find at the cross are you're going to find brokenness and you're going to find cleansing, and that's all we need to find. Okay, Brokenness is our part. The cleansing is His. Okay, Forgiveness comes in the cleansing. Redemption comes in the brokenness. Think about to Scripture. Think about the adulterous woman who came to Jesus in brokenness. She left a different person that day. She left cleansed. She left free from her sins. And when you bow low, you come to the fourth and the final part of the de- definition. Revival is when you find that, that filling. Okay, Think of it this way. The only life that pleases God is really His own life. I mean, I, I think that he looks down at us and he says, hey, you're doing a great job and you've, you've prayed and you've confessed your sins and I believe that brings him great joy. I believe he's joyous on the days when he sees somebody married and 
joining together, and I believe that He's joyous on those days that He says, look at them, they're finally resting. See, but really the only life that pleases God is His own, and He wants our lives to reflect that. And that's what revival is. The life of Jesus poured in to the human heart. See, brokenness leads to cleansing, and cleansing then leads to filling. The filling of the human body, the mind, the soul, and the heart with the love and the presence of Jesus. So, a gentleman, late Henry Jowett, it was, he was a well-known preacher in his day, and he attended at the end of the last century the coronation of King Edward VII. Can you imagine being there, the coronation of a king? Well, he recorded how in Westminster Abbey, he sat there observing the assembly gathering. First came in the princesses and the princes, and they were seated. And the dignitaries, dukes and duchesses, and the others of lesser nobility, and how each, as each one came in, homage was paid to each one of them. You can imagine, it would be like the Hollywood red carpet. Oh, who's coming now? There would be this excitement. But he writes, when the king arrived, all eyes turned away from those lower rank and were fixed upon him. The king had arrived, and that's what they were looking for. Nothing else will do. Anything else is simply a substitute. And that means idolatry if we're not looking for him and him alone. What a great imagery, what a great analogy that sometimes we can get caught up in these amazing things of this earthly world. But we need to stop when the King arrives and we need to focus on Him. See, revival is keeping our eyes on Jesus and allowing Him to break us and cleanse us and fill us. Revival is reaching high and revival is bowing down low. Revival is the realization, the simple realization that we need Jesus. So I have a question. The question is, is where are you at in terms of revival today? Because revival starts with each and every one of us. Have you grasped the almighty, all-powerful, holy, holy, holy presence of God? Have you come to a point where like Isaiah, you are ready to say, woe is me. You are ready to be in the awe and the glory of Jesus. Have you come to a crossroads in your life where you're reaching to God to lift you up like a child reaches to their parents? Have you made the decision that, you know what, God, I am going to humble myself to you. I'm going to accept the fact that I can't do life without you. See, if you're at that place or you're ready to take the, the next step, we, we need to do something. We need to bow down to God. We need to bow down to God and say, God, I need you to break me today. We need to ask God to cleanse our hearts, our minds, and our body, and our soul. And I don't care if you did this last week or if you did this before you came to church today. Because this needs to be an ongoing, ever-presence part of our life. You know, and once our vessel, our self has been broken, once it's been cleansed, it's time to ask God to fill our hearts with His presence and His love. So today, as we close out this message today, I want to take a moment and I want to pray for you. And at the end of the prayer, Sharon's just going to play some quiet music and we're going to spend some time in reflection. And if you are at a point where you say, you know what, I know that it's just a stage and I know that it's just carpet and wood, but today I'm ready. I'm ready to be broken and I'm ready to be cleansed so that I can be filled up. I'm going to encourage you 
to bring yourselves to the altar and to pray about those areas where God needs to move in your life. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank You for this presence You put upon us, Lord. We thank You for Your overwhelming presence that's before us, that, that glory, the light, the energy, the, the love, the power, Lord. Those words that we can't even begin to describe because You are truly indescribable, Lord. Today, Lord, we humbly bow down before You as we reach to You and we ask You to cleanse our hearts. Lord, we ask You to help us to humble ourselves before You, to bow down before You so that we may truly see Your face, Lord. We ask to be humbled in ways where we can acknowledge our sin and acknowledge that we are unworthy of Your love. But then, Lord, we ask Your blessing to fall upon us so that we may feel Your Holy Spirit filling us, Lord, so that we may individually be revived, be made clean, and be made closer in our quest to walk with Jesus. Lord, we thank You for this opportunity to come together for the blessings You give us each day, Lord. We ask that You open up our, our hearts and our minds to see the beauty around us, the, the beauty that can overpower any negativity that's in our lives, Lord. We are truly a blessed and chosen and holy people as well. We, as, the, as the Bible says, Lord, we are truly children of God. We are holy princes and princesses in Your realm. And today, Lord, allow us to believe that. That You love us unconditionally no matter where we've been and what we've been through, Lord. We, we bless You. We praise You, Lord. We ask Your blessing on us. And all this we ask in Jesus' name.